welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and my co-host, Stephen McNally. And boy, Steve, what a crazy one this one was. And it wasn't so much the racing, it was the post-race antics by the officials. But we'll get all into that, as well as a really interesting kind of formulation here about who the second best team is, or at least the second or third best driver is, and a recap of all of the dealings and qualifying to set up the way this race went. But Steve, first, that crazy end to the race that had nothing to do with what happened on the track, but really what was happening in the officials' offices. Yeah, I mean, we, we couldn't really definitively say who finished where until many, many, many hours after the race finished, wrapped up. Uh, I, I think we all saw the performance on the track. You know, obviously, Fernando Alonso cemented himself as... You know the that third best driver who you know the best driver not in a Red Bull at the moment, and the car certainly shows it. Uh, but you know there was a question when he had to come in and serve his penalty for a improper grid position. Uh, you know it seemed like he had given up third place because of an additional penalty, uh, much like his former teammate Esteban Ocon last week. And it's funny. Uh... 42-year-old newcomer Fernando Alonso couldn't line up his car correctly, which triggered this whole event, if you will. Um, but uh, the problem here that I have is why does it take until the end of the race? This this penalty was served at, what, lap 19, I think? And the question about whether it was properly served they went through the whole race and didn't deal with it until post-race. You have you have more than half the race to deal with this, Steve. And it seems like, you know, we, we were texting during the race, and, you know, it seemed like George Russell was, I don't know, confused about five seconds uh, penalty that Fernando had to serve and why he was trying to keep pace. But I was wondering now, was he thinking that there was another penalty that that was talking about, and nobody knew about it except, like, like the people in the paddock. It wasn't even on the broadcast until much later than that. Well, I mean, first, you know, talk about like reaction time. Obviously it wasn't an issue last week with Esteban. Like, you know, clearly they, they saw a penalty line up the grid box. Same as this week. He went into service penalty. Someone touched the car too soon. They saw it quickly and they quickly got the information to the team that the penalty wasn't served correctly. I cannot tell you why it took you, uh, <laughs> nearly uh, an hour, 40 minutes, two hours after the incident to get clarification, but uh, it, it took forever. So we, we have everyone trying to finish the rest of the race with incomplete information. Uh, you're supposed to get a definitive answer within 25 minutes. That didn't happen. So, you know, uh, George thinks one thing that he hadn't served his penalty when Everyone else thought he had served his penalty, and then people looked back at the replays, and then they thought they didn't serve his penalty, and then told George, you know what, might as well pick up the pace now just to be safe. And so it just, it kind of throws everything off here, and, you know, obviously this is the thing, this is taking nothing away from Fernando Alonso, which we'll get into in just a bit. He drove a great race today, and he deserved to be third. But there was a lot of questions about what it was, and he should have had the chance to make that up in the race as well, not getting uh, adjudicated after he had already poured champagne on himself, right? So I, this is this is one of those things where I will tell you, Steve, my, my opinion about this. 
the F1 officials are one through five on the top five things who are wrong with the sport. They have pissed me off for years now and they have not gotten any better and they rear their ugly head in race two. So, yeah, uh, you, if, if all else, even if it's something you disagree with, you at least want the consistency of disagreement. Uh, you know, it's, it seems to be adjudicated, like you said, differently week to week. Um, I, I will say for his part, uh, Fernando said two things after the race. When they first told him that he had lost his third and it went to George and he was ultimately fourth, kind of kind of shrugged it off. He said, oh, you know, no big deal. And they said, really? It's like, yeah, I already got to go up there and take the pictures and drink the champagne. So, yeah, it's fine. Um, so he, he was pretty jovial about it. The second point was, uh, you know, and, and a fair point was if I knew I had that additional 10 second penalty, I could have, you know, possibly pushed and drove to erase, uh, that deficit that, or, or create the deficit that I would have needed. Um, you know, George had to go on a hypothesis that, Hey, you might want to get in that five seconds, which, you know, technically he didn't have to push that hard because he just needed to be within 10. I don't know why they were telling him five seconds when the penalty last week was 10 seconds and you would assume right. it'd be the same. Um, but likewise, had the team kind of communicated it to Fernando, you know, I'm sure he had a little bit more where he could have pushed. Um, but you know, at the same time, I feel like there was a little bit of Aston Martin trying to not tell on themselves. Like if you're sending that message out to Fernando, like, Hey, pick up the pace. Uh, <clears throat> give, give us a, <clears throat> give us a couple extra temp <laughs> seconds, every lap, you know, uh, that's, that's public broadcast. So you're kind of calling attention to yourself, maybe telling on yourself a little bit. So you want to be a, a little bit, you know, uh, inconspicuous, like, Hey, you know, it, it, it'd be nice if you could go to tenths of a second faster this if if you have the pace you know well uh we're seeing something with uh max maybe he's falling off on his delta time maybe you can catch him as opposed to hey we're gonna get dinged for 10 seconds here pick up the pace right and i don't want to dwell on this too much because it's already over it's it's overshadowing a pretty solid interesting race already that we had and you know we don't want to get away from the the point of f1 which is to see who finishes one, two, three on the podium every week. So let's get over to that, Steve. And uh, a little bit of interesting things to me anyway. Uh, I, you know, Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Red Bull um, definitely stand out to me this week. A few other teams as well. Um, so I can handle those if you want to, uh, you know, in a conversation. If you want to bring any of the other up, I'm interested. But I think those are the major players other than Ferrari sucking. And, you know, I, I'm just really avoiding Ferrari because I made a really bad prediction last week. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, you know, I don't think we can't talk about Ferrari. Like it, it has to be kind of called out for for their performance. Like you, you expect to bounce back and, you know, they, they didn't deliver. And ultimately they need to be called out on that. Uh, right. And it started with qualifying, right, Steve? Yeah. I mean, we already knew that. Charles had kind of stepped into a grid penalty because he was on his third, uh, what they call a control electronics uh, unit, which basically uh, is is the main CPU, if you will, when talking about the MGUH, the MGUK, all the other electronic components in the engine. Like it's it's the the heart, the control center. You only get two per season. It's the second race. They're already on their third. 
So he was already going to take a, a 10 place grid penalty. You know, put his car in second time wise. So he's starting 12th. He's already on the back foot. You expect maybe Carlos Sainz can be the guy who step up. Ultimately, he only got his car to fourth. So they're already starting out of position, which which isn't, you know, where, where those cars should be based on their caliber, based on the driver caliber. And, you know, uh, with Red Bull, they also had an interesting, you know, kind of one hand behind their back to start as well to Ferrari too. And this is where it gets a little concerning for Ferrari. You know, it wasn't like Red Bull had a so extreme advantage that it obviously put Red Bull at a disadvantage this week. Uh, Max also wasn't starting uh, up in the front. He was starting in the back as well, but seems that their problems don't hamper them. Right? Yeah, after, after Max's drive shaft issue in Q2, which... You know, but could have reared its head in the race also. But, you know, it, it happened Q2. So best he had to, to look forward to was 15th starting. Uh, Sergio put it on pole. Fantastic job. He's a street circuit meister. Uh, but if you're Ferrari, you got two people starting ahead of Max. And turn one, lap one, Fernando Alonso puts the moves on Checo to take the lead. And you've got one Red Bull held up, one Red Bull behind you, Leclerc starting on soft tires. You, I, I must have said it three or four times during the race. So you got to make hay while the sun is shining. If you're there ahead of Max on the softer compound, like you, you've got to put the moves on some people and put your car in a position to win or, or in a position to, to at least pull out a podium. Ultimately, Max starting three places behind him finishes second, and they finished you know, nowhere, essentially. And, you know, the interesting thing is because of that interesting qualifying and, you know, where teams started, we saw some interesting tire strategy to start the race, which kind of played out a little bit. So you mentioned already Charles on the soft tire, which you would like to think he, he that was the preference there. He was going to try to make some hay, right? And we saw Lewis getting over to Mercedes start on the hard tire when everybody else was doing pretty much mediums, right? And he was, it seems like, one of the few drivers who did not like the hard tire. I mean, obviously, early, he was probably not super pumped about it. Everything's, like, relative. He's in a full tank of gas car, starting the race from scratch with a hard tire. He said the grip was sucky on the car. We saw that over the over the wires. It, it, but, you know, everyone else, when they got into their hard tires after the stop, they were like, oh, I like this. So we saw... Uh, Fernando say this, we saw George say this, so his own teammates say this. And so, you know, everything's relative. Well, but, name a better duo, Lewis and complaining about his tires, you know. Right. Uh, you know, and in this instance, we talked about making hay. You know, we talked about, we don't know if the hard strategy was really going to work, right? It only works if you're going to run long on that while everyone has to pit. And that didn't happen with a pit around 19. And then he switched to mediums then when everyone was on hard, which seems like would have been an advantage, but he didn't really make hay there either. Just like we saw with Charles not making hay on a t technically faster tire. And... You know, it was just, I don't know if it was the race that way, if it was just the cars didn't have it in them. Uh, but in that way, it was a bit of a disappointing tire strategy for both Ferrari and Mercedes today. Although Mercedes is probably a little bit happier about what they showed today versus what Ferrari did. Yeah, yeah. L Lewis, it, it was interesting because ultimately the Lance Stroll retirement, uh, still not really aware of what happened to his car, but the, the Aston cutout, and caused the safety car. The majority of the field had already stopped. 
uh, the Ferrari had just stopped right before the safety car. And Lewis was one of the last people out because he started on hards. Um, so he comes in to make a stop earlier than I'm sure he wanted to, but I, you, you can't, you know, look, look a gift safety car in the mouth. If you're going to get a free stop, you might as well take it. Uh, so he goes on to this, you know, extra long medium stint and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Ferrari again. We'll talk about it on strategy and communication side. Uh, Leclerc gets a call from his engineer that Lewis is in the pit. Hurry up and try to get to the safety car line to beat him out of the pits. But the call comes late. So Lewis comes out splitting both Ferraris. You know, had, had Ferrari been on top of it and communicated well to Charles, Lewis would have had to try to overtake both Ferraris. Ultimately, he only needed to beat one Ferrari on hard tires with his medium and then maintain a gap. Um, so he, he was able to pick off one. Um, but had had Ferrari been on their game, you know, it probably would have been a harder time. And I think, you know, ultimately he, he catches up to George and he's a half second behind. And I think they had a small window to let Lewis go through if they wanted to try to control the gap to Fernando. Ultimately, they didn't play like a team orders game. George held position. I think that forced Lewis into now. Now it's tire preservation mode. I, you know, it's my teammate. I'm not really going to be able to, to fight him. These mediums are going to fall off a cliff at the end. I need to maintain this so the Ferraris don't catch back up to me. So we just had to kind of slot in and and drive his race the rest of the way. Right. It's some interesting team dynamics I think are already emerging in week two. Um, we saw it there about whether or not they would swap Lewis and George, given the strategy. And George didn't seem like he really wanted to. And uh, it seems like there was an order in at some point, And George is like, I'll drive faster. And it kind of made the point move. Uh, we saw it in Red Bull as well, where it seemed like, you know, Checo was like, a little like cautious at the end there. He's like, why are you checking my times against uh, Max? He was worried that something might be up about they're trying to let Max catch up. And also Max went for the fastest lap on the last lap and stole that point away essentially uh, from Checo, making sure that uh, Checo didn't actually lead the points that week, which is going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, uh, And uh, not the most important, but as we start seeing some of these uh, more dysfunctional teams right now, and boy is McLaren dysfunctional, uh, I was a bit noteworthy that it seemed like Lando, uh, although he ultimately let it happen, they let the rookie. Uh, they told, don't let, let the rookie by. They let Oscar go by. So uh, some interesting dynamics this week amongst three of the teams just that stuck out to me. Yeah, it, it, and we could talk about, you know, kind of the end there with McLaren too, uh, but I, I don't want to let the, the Red Bull story kind of, fall away too quickly because you know there there have been a couple flare-ups between this partnership between max and checo last year about who's letting whom pass for what reason or paying back this that happened at monaco and and you know all these kind of like coded messages and you know heading into those last 10 laps max is complaining about a, a weird noise a weird vibration thinking it's coming from the drive shaft is that gremlin from qualifying popping back up again he seemed really concerned about it and a couple laps later uh you know checo's talking to his engineer about what lap times he should be doing and it it felt like to him you're telling me a time slower than what you really want me to be doing it so he, he felt super defensive about it 
And at the time, like you said, he had that point for fastest lap. Had the race ended like that, he would be leading the championship. The first Mexican to do it since Pedro Rodriguez, you know, decades ago. It would be fantastic for him. And Max, even with this questionable car, he hears his vibration. He still takes the risk in P2 to charge up his battery for one last push on the last lap of the race to put in a purple lap and steal that point. You know, it, it was it was kind of risky knowing that there's something not 100% with your car, knowing that you have P2 sewn up, that you want to take that risk for one point. It, it came off a little petty and a little personal. Well, it also makes me wonder, too, you know, Max also king of complaining about his car, even when he's doing great. You know, how much of that was just complaining versus serious concern? Because he obviously wasn't that concerned. He thought it was more important for him to rev it up and get that fastest lap. So he didn't so he didn't lose that position in the driver standings to his teammate. And I just think this is an interesting dynamic going forward. I've never seen a driver so unhappy with second place, considering the drive that Max had today. Um, you know, uh, he did, he seemed like he was just like, this isn't what I wanted today. And I'm like, Hey, no, I understand. He obviously is the best car on the track on any Goodman day, but you know, his teammate was pretty damn good today too. I very curious how Red Bull, Red Bull essentially gets through this season clean I, you know, I'm curious if they'll be able to maintain this over the course of the season where everyone's fine and and dandy when, um, you know, it amazes me, right? You, you got to think about it from Checo's perspective. This was a driver who almost was without a car, essentially, right? Yeah, lot, essentially, you know, seatless at the end of 2020, right, right, right on the heels of his first win. Right, and uh, he goes a hell of a driver. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Checo. That's the kind of person who should never not have a seat. You know what I mean? He's a tremendous driver. He's one of the best 20 in the world. Easy. He's probably one of the best 10 right now, in my opinion, uh, on any given day in any given car. And this is a guy who's looking at Red Bull. It's probably the best car he's ever driven in his career. He's like, I can win races. I can win a championship. Max is young. He's won some. It's like, why can't I compete? Why can't we share? And that's going to be an interesting dynamic. And I know I'm setting up for one of your big, uh, big uh, long-term ones here, Steve. <laughs> it's that good old, our boy Danny m- uh, might benefit from this strife. Every sign is a, is a sign like that. From I, I will take anything as a sign towards that, I should say. So, <laughs> uh, um, you know, it... it Middle of the year last year, he's coming off a Monaco win. And it's it's tough, like you said, to be in the best car that you've ever driven, a dominant car. And you should really just be concerned about beating the other drivers on the track. But I feel like he's he's looking over his back a lot of the time because of how much that team is built around Max. You know, he, he can't be his, his own driver. He can't be himself. He's got to be the team player all the time. And he has to... It, you know, there's there's a sense that he has to feel guilty for winning when Max doesn't. You right. know, like unless Max is out of the race, which you think somebody starting fifteenth, you're out of the race, but not Max. He will win from literally anywhere. But you know, he shouldn't feel bad about it. But I think, you know, Max kind of brings that mood to the team, where it's like anytime I'm not winning, it's it's detrimental. So. Yeah, you know, I, I I hope 
Sergio takes every bit of you know uh, satisfaction from winning these races because you know he deserves it. Yeah, and there were some things on the line. I think maybe Max wanted as personal goals. I think no driver had ever won 16 of 21 races. I think he had matched Schum- uh, Schumacher's mark of 15 and 20. Um, and had he won this race, he would have broken that. No one, no driver had done that. So there's obviously maintaining his lead in, in the championship, uh, knowing he had a probably a car that could win this race if it wasn't for the the funky start. Um, so I understand, but. It's a little petulance to me where it's like, I didn't get my way versus whatever. It's like, you're a two-time defending champion. You're young in your career. Your car is still amazing. You're going to have a chance this year. It doesn't look like he wants to share his toys. <laughs> he has that face. He, he, <laughs> he, he has that just kind of like so that, it, that entitled And he comes by it honestly smugness. because it's, it's his dad had the same face in post-race as well. Yeah. There's just no pleasing some people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, we saw some interesting things in this race, but maybe not the fireworks we predicted either, Steve, you know, we talked about, uh, a very timely and, uh, and, and I guess important, uh, caution, but it didn't even have to be a full safety, honestly, uh, in, um, race officials saying that the GPS said that Lance's car was on the track when it actually wasn't, which is why they did the full safety. And so this was a, this could have been a pretty clean race barring that, um, you know, everyone pretty much raced clean the accidents that happened, like, you know, Albin with his losing his brakes. Uh, I was a little shocked. He went around one more lap. Uh, I thought, Oh, here comes disaster. Um, but he got in safely. It was, it was relatively clean other than the McLarens not being able to get their front wings from getting clipped. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into predictions at the end, but I, obviously I expected, you know, the, the last two years have shown that, you know, there, it's not a lot of space for people to operate. It's a, you know, it's, it's a cage match inside of a phone booth kind of scenario where you have to get your elbows out all the time and you know mistakes are punished but there there wasn't a lot of mistakes uh there, there was a little bit of argy bargy at the beginning both mclarens had to change a front wing so you know they're they're off to a zoom and start um you know i i thought that the race was kind of you know to give it a grade kind of like a b minus there there was a little you know, kind of slog there at the end where it was kind of single file. Everyone kind of settled into their position. Uh, good action at the beginning. Fernando made some great moves. And I, I expected, because we had Charles starting 12th and we had Max starting 15th and faster cars, that we were going to see some, you know, some real aggressive stuff. Um, but they made, you know, kind of more gradual pace. They didn't really, you know, Max obviously did not have to worry about beating anybody in a braking zone. He could just pass anybody on the streets. His car was uh, undeniably faster than everyone else. And then Charles just didn't seem that interested <laughs> in, you know, clawing his way up the field. Uh, you know, he he ended up, you know, gaining a position because Stroll retired. Um, and, you know, he... he beat out the two Alpines and the two Haases and, you know, their slower cars, which he should beat anyway. And then that's really the only progress he made. Right. And it's hard to say, you know, uh, barring, you know, what we had today, but Alpine uh, didn't look too terrible, uh, you know, but 
I don't really see another team competing uh, in that middle tier against, say, what we've seen out of Aston Martin. I think it is pretty pretty clear Aston Martin is not just moving up to the top of the middle tier, but looking like it's moving into the upper tier. Uh, only question is is the reliability, I guess, at this point, because Stroll, uh, Stroll was having a pretty good race, and it would be very interesting to have seen had he made it to the end. Um, not just that they, he he you know. he seemed to be close to to making it on pole too. Like he he had his last lap, you know, green for a second, purple second sector, and just kind of lost it at the end. But he was on pace for pole. But they're they're I think clearly after two races the second fastest team, um, and you know Fernando seems to be the only other person to challenge the Red Bulls at the moment. Right, and what's depressing for Ferrari is Ferrari was the second fastest team last year and actually in some ways could say they could claim dominance or superiority, I should say, over Red Bulls in certain areas and certain tracks. Um, uh, you know, not a lot, but they could say it. And you would hope that they would improve this year. They changed their uh, uh, a lot of their team direction and everything like that. And they're sliding to fourth in my opinion, Steve, I don't know if you agree. They've slid to fourth uh, very quickly this year. I mean, uh, a wise man once said, you are you are what your record says you are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, right now they are fourth. You know, uh, they are behind Mercedes, behind Aston Martin, behind Red Bull. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen really anything outside of good qualifying pace from Charles that, you know, they can, you know, break into a higher position. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're clearly pegged in fourth right now. Uh, you know, we step away to another street esque circuit, but one that should be a little bit more suited to them in, you know, Melbourne. Um, you know, we, you did talk about Alpine. They, they both scored double points. It was nice to see Esteban not step on his foot three or four times in a row. Um, but I, I think they had some struggles with race pace in, practice in their long practice runs it looked like they had good pace like on pace with ferrari on pace to be mixing it up with the top four but when it came to the race i feel like otmar safnauer the team principal like kind of wanted to have the team you know push a little bit more for pace and it was their engineers that kind of said that we 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 really can't afford to push right now so i I don't know if they had some concerns about reliability, but going into the race, they were expecting to have, you know, a, a, a better, uh, better chance of hanging on to that top group of cars and, you know, ultimately finished, you know, 15 to 20 seconds behind the Ferraris, but they should have been able to compete with them, but it was nice to, to see them keep it clean and pick up some more points. Yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting to see what everyone's race is, and it seemed like Fernando's was not the Red Bulls; it was the Mercedes, um, and it seemed like Alpine's was not necessarily, you know, any concern. It's probably to probably still to keep McLaren at bay, right? But McLaren didn't show up, so it's it's interesting who that next team is going to emerge to see who's king of that of that middle heap, right? Uh, you know, Alpine was very proud to be the fourth team. Um, you know, uh, we'll see if that ends up being the case for them. But, uh, you know, it's now it's kind of with Aston Martin's ascension. Uh, 
and Ferrari's backslide, it seems like there's a top four and maybe Ferrari's backsliding to the middle tier, right? But yeah, and you know, with you know McLaren, I don't, I don't think anybody's worried about McLaren at the moment. <laughs> uh, they they currently hold 19th and 20th between Piastri and Norris, and technically Piastri is ahead of Norris because you know they let him pass and he had a a 15th finishing position which is higher than Lando's two 17ths um but you know both of them losing a wing on the first lap uh you know that's going to ruin your race from the jump the safety car didn't necessarily help them and you know they're trundling around at the back of the pack with you know Williams um it's it's not I, I will give them some silver lining. I will give them uh, some props for qualifying. Uh, Lando messed up, clipped the wall, broke his front suspension, ruined his lap. Oscar made it all the way to Q3. It was a pretty impressive showing, dragging that orange tractor into Q3. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting much from him as a rookie. Uh, but that that was an pre- impressive performance. Uh, you don't get any points on Saturday, but um, you know I, I think that was a good showing from him. Uh, you know, and and that battle at the end was kind of weird. You know, you had Logan Sargent, uh, you know, from Williams who had a great first lap in qualifying, deleted track limits, another kind of controversial officiating uh, issue. So he didn't start where he, you know, probably deserved to. Uh, he was kind of on a long medium run like Lewis. So he's there splitting, you know, the two McLarens and they're going back and forth and sideways fighting over points or, or seemingly fighting over points, but it was really for 15th. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess we can get over to how our predictions did because we talked about the highest placing rookies and they were talking about non-points positions so that that's a big no on mine i, so, I will so yeah, get this you, you right wanna, eventually let, let's let, let's lay out our our predictions and uh you know so you go first Steve. what were your three my first prediction was that over the weekend we would have at least two red flags and i got no points for that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my second prediction was Haas would score points, and they did. Mm-hmm. We got points from Kevin Magison. Uh, had a great battle with Yuki Sonoda for a handful of laps. Kept getting close. Uh, Yuki was defending for his life, and ultimately, uh, K Mag came out on top, pipped him at the end, picked up that one championship point. So he gets one point. I get one point. Uh, and my third prediction was that we'd have the same podium this race as we did in Bahrain. I, I don't know if I could take a full point. I'd like to take a half point because technically it was the same three people on the podium. It just wasn't the same order. I had, I had Max winning, Checo second, and Fernando in third. It's uh, better than what I had. Well, uh, I mean, I... do you think full point, half point? No point? I... I will give you half a point because you got the people right. Uh, so we'll, we'll if we go forward with this, you get half a point for getting the three right. The uh, the order of the podium, you get the other half point. 
Okay. I, I might not predict podiums every week. I just felt really good that it would be the same three this week. Okay. Um, for my predictions, uh, the only one I got right was uh, Esteban Ocon <laughs> not having more penalties this week than he did last week. He actually had a good race this week, so uh, good for him. Uh, Fernando Alonso did try to take his uh, his mantle this, this week, but also did not uh, end up getting that second penalty. Um, I picked... Ferrari resurgence, boy, was I wrong. Um, I picked Ferraris uh, one and three with uh, Charles winning and Max splitting them. I got Max right and nothing else. I won't take any credit for any of that because I was just so terrible picking Ferrari. And I predicted that a rookie would score points in this race. And it looked promising with Piastri uh, qualifying where he did and some of the racing that happened and juggling going on. And, you know, our predictions and Steve's prediction of two red flags, I thought it would just be enough chaos to shuffle one in. But... Unfortunately, I think none got higher than 15th. Is that correct? I think the highest finishing rookie was Nick DeVries in 14th. 14th. So, yeah, still far away there. I will keep predicting rookies until they point. The Um, the rookies actually finished in order, 14th, 15th, 16th, with DeVries, Piastri, and Sargent. And it's not the company that Lando Norris wants to be keeping at this point in his career. (laughs) Uh no, and it's it's a shame, and you know I I think he he's only going only going to deal with that frustration for so long. I I mean he he vehemently and emphatically you know put out a statement saying like all, all this talk is ridiculous. I don't want to be anywhere but here. Um, but I you know your mind has to wonder about you know this was supposed to be a continual rise up the midfield to the top, you know, they, they had, you know, steady progress from 2019 to 2020. It was a race winning team in 2021. Last year was a step back and this year is an even further step back. Um, you know, it's, it's bringing back the battle times from when Fernando was back on the team and you know, the, it, it was dysfunctional and they had a slow car. And that's that's not where someone of Lando's or even Oscar's talent should be should be stuck at this point in their career. Well, you know, at this point too, I know it's where would Lando go where he would get to be the number one guy that would be better than McLaren right now? Number one seats, if you believe in number one versus number two, which I do, um, <laughs> you know, there's a clear number one at Red Bull. There's a there's currently a clear number one at Ferrari, but that number one is probably just as frustrated as Lando. So, and then, you know, at Mercedes, I, I'd still say Lewis is number one, but if, you know, if Lewis ends up leaving, is, is Lando going to go play number two to George? I, I right. Cause George is being set up to be the future number one. I, yeah. I, and I think he's deserving of that. He's raced pretty well in the Mercedes, you know? And then everything else is, you know, Haas, Alpine, Alpha Tauri, like, you, you might as well stay at McLaren and, and at least be the number one somewhere. Right. I mean, like, you can cross your fingers and see how long Fernando Alonso wants to uh, play. But with a car like this, and he looks great, uh, you know, he could race a few more years. And, I mean, it does Lando want to wait around that long to wait for another car to open up, right? So, um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a weird purgatory for some of our young and up and coming drivers who are now at the point where they're not so young and up and coming. They should be here. 
and Lando's in one of those purgatory places, but we're also seeing with Charles, we're seeing it with Carlos, right? Uh, these guys should be the next generation and they're watching one of their compatriots like, you know, Max run away and start to establish that career. They see someone like George who is on a better team at least and having success. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting right now to see um, this middle class, if you will, of, of cars hampering some of this next up and coming generation. That generation is supposed to take over for Fernando Alonso and uh, Hamilton and, you know, the, the Sebs and the Kimmies that were leaving the sport and, and about to leave the sport. So, yeah, I don't think Carlos Sainz ever envisioned, you know, his hero that, you know, he had posters of on his wall and always aspired to be his, his fellow countrymen that, you know, in his eighth year of his own career, that he'd still have to be looking up at Fernando Alonso in the standings. Like, I, I don't think that was ever a possibility for him. Like, oh, I'll, I'll have a chance to race with Fernando at the beginning of my career, and then he'll retire, and then I'll ascend, and I'll be the best Spanish driver on the grid. And here he is. It's 2023. Fernando's 42 years old, and he still tops him. Yeah, the uh, frustrating, you know. But uh, again, Alonso's an all-time great, and I'm sure Carlos would like to be one. It's just not happening at this point, and I don't think it's anything to do necessarily with his talent. It's been the disruption, if you will, of that team. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's just the interesting part about that. But we now have a part. Uh, the frustrating part of this beginning of the season, Steve, is that now we have to wait around again for another two weeks, right? Yeah, again, we're doing another, uh, you know, full race week gear up anticipation uh, and, you know, have the race and gives us a, a bunch of, you know, moments and things to talk about and chew on. And then we got to kind of sit on our thumbs for a while as we got to wait another two weeks until we come back to Melbourne and, and have the Australian Grand Prix. Um and I, I think after that race, we're going to look at these last two weeks and be like, oh, thank goodness we only had to wait two weeks because after Australia, we got to wait three weeks before we go to Baku. Um, yeah, then, then it comes a little fast and furious, but it's just it's a little frustrating. However, I know the teams are hopefully making tweaks and, and changes and we might get a better product here on the end. But um, I think for for now, we you know, we've covered all that we can for this race. Um, but stay tuned. Obviously, we will come to you uh, in between these dark times and bring you content, hot, fresh content. Uh, all the rumors and all the things going on, the fallout from this race is still continuing. So we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, in the coming hey, weeks here. And, and I'll say, yeah, and I'll say this. If, if you're frustrated about looking at the schedule and seeing, you know, a two-week break here, two-week break there, three-week break there, and you feel like... Maybe the schedule is something we should talk about. Well, I mean, check back with us soon. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a conversation about that. Oh, we will certainly be having conversations about the schedule. That does it for this episode of the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, joined by my co-host, Stephen McNally. We'll catch you on the other side of the flag. <laughs>